MGU, check one, two. Good morning, happy Monday. Um, like was mentioned, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors at Biltmore Church. And as someone who has been to a lot of chapels, Christian chapels, uh, so far in my life, man, I can tell that with your leadership, some of the student leadership, um, the Holy Spirit is welcome here. And uh, I forgot who said it, but God goes where He's wanted, right? God goes where He's wanted, and it's clear uh, from the last few moments that God is wanted here. So, uh, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, if you have a copy of Scripture, Matthew chapter 7, we'll start in verse 24, before I read, um, let me pray. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, I pray that you would take this small effort to open up your word and preach it truthfully, pray that you would multiply it, pray that you would open up our hearts um, arrest our attention, open up our eyes where maybe we've gone blind to your words. Give us grace. Amen. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I'll read verse 24. That's where we'll start. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against this house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. How's Jesus for a Monday morning, right? Um, hey, the big idea. For the next few moments, I want to speak for Jesus, and he invites you. He invites you to become a practitioner of his way of life, and he warns us of the dangers of just admiring it. There's a real danger in just admiring Christian stuff. So, my goal for the next, like, minute or 20 minutes or so before lunch is to convince you, is to convince you to build your life on following Jesus and not just consume Christian content. There's real danger in that, and I am a testimony of that. Um, it's no surprise that our generation, this generation, my, my generation, um, we have no problem binging on content. Um, Buckminster Fuller, how's that for a name? IBM and I think Google got involved, and they created the knowledge doubling curve. Ask a professor about it. Um, knowledge doubling curve, and they estimate that all information in the universe, okay, that's like everything to know, doubled every thousand years or so, okay? Every thousand years, it doubled all the information in the universe until World War II, and then it sped up to every 25 years. And then it, from then on, uh, estimate today, best estimate is every 12 hours in 2020, right? Every 12 hours, the knowledge in the universe is doubling over itself. 
There's more information than ever, right? All my Enneagram fives, if you know what that is. You're like, knowledge is power, yes. Um, but here's the problem, right? Most of that content has nothing to do with you. It's just news headlines. It's overwhelming speed is capturing your attention and you feel like you're missing out if you don't get some of it. And so we're binging on our content. This creates two things, the pressure to keep up, which you can't, and then it brings along with it anxiety. Anxiety. Um, we read the news or an article on the Bible, maybe it was sent to you from a friend or whatever, it's good things, but that eventually leads to speed reading the Bible. You speed read an article, and that becomes your life. And then you find yourself speed praying, and the Psalms take too long. And you continue to think that it's a hashtag out there, it's kind of a common thing out there, that's their problem, and has nothing to do with this campus, this dorm, my life, and you try to shut it out. But here, Jesus makes no apology and wants to invite you to participate, to put into practice and not just consume content, okay? So it says, anyone, Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine, hears these words of mine. In the context, this is the famous Sermon on the Mount. It takes you about 20, 25 minutes to read, Matthew 5 through 7, and that's his famous condensed version of all of his content. It's all of his teaching of what it's like in his kingdom, what it's like to be a follower of him. And this teaching right here that we just read is at the very end. That's like the last thing he says, right? So it's kind of an awkward moment to like end a sermon this way with this, <laughs> this huge warning of a great collapse of your life, right? Um, G.H. Stassen uh, proposes that there's a reason that he does this. In this sermon, Jesus introduces a teaching. You've heard it said, but I say to you, right? You've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, whoever hates his brother in his heart, right? So he compares and contrasts both teachings, and then he offers up a transforming application step, right? All preachers do. Hey, here's like one bottom shelf thing that you can do to then go put it into practice, and he does that over and over. In fact, 14 times you can see he does this cycle. The word puts them into practice, or does them, is mentioned over 20 times in two chapters, three chapters. Jesus is very concerned. Can I tell you? Jesus is very concerned, not with your outward performance to earn his favor, but he is concerned with your obedience. Happy Monday, right? Um, Next, he explains with a short parable, right, to kind of flesh what this looks like. He says this, compare and contrast, there's a wise man and a foolish man. And then there's the test, the storms of life, beat against your foundation and who can last. The result is one didn't fall and the other one did fall. And great was its collapse. And then he gives you the reason. One was built on the rock, one was built on sand. Two people, two people uh, going to the same chapel. 
the same dorm, same friend group, same table at lunch, maybe even from the same area of town. And you really can't tell, right, which is on the rock and which is on the sand. Right? You look at two people and you're like, they look the same. Until, right, until the storm. The storm is where the foundation is revealed, right? That's where the foundation in what you built your life on shows. Um, back a couple months ago when we had those massive storms, I don't know if you guys got hit by those storms, but uh, up the mountain, we got hit with those storms, Haywood County, Buncombe County, Henderson County, we got destroyed with all of these storms, right? And so for us in my house, there's two trees, both of which are the same type of tree across the street, and I come home after those storms come in, and I try to get, there's like fallen debris, and there's everything, and then one of those trees fell, and it almost hit my garage, like my garage is here, and it like fell right on my driveway, and it was so close to hitting my garage, and here's the thing, before the storm, those were just two trees, those were just two normal trees about a foot apart, but then you look, and I saw that the um, one of the trees that, f the tree that fell, they were cutting it, you know, into pieces to get through the street, and when I looked, the roots were growing over the hill and, like, into the embankment, and there was no foundation, and it was kind of like these exposed roots were just, they just fell. Great was the collapse. Again, before the storm, it's just two trees, but now the foundations were shown. So for you, whatever it is, Losing a dream, losing a job, maybe a family member, or pick your tragedy. That's when what you built your life on is revealed. It's revealed. Um, your storms will come. They will. They will happen. And they just reveal the foundation that you build your life on. And I think the last 19 months or so, you've seen foundations revealed, right? You've seen them revealed. Um, this is like when your professor, okay, this is like when your professor, like, tells you to show your homework, okay, the dreaded words, right? So in math class, which I don't take math anymore, but in math class, um, right, they're like, hey, show your work, and you're like, uh, and so everyone knows, all the cheaters know that you're like, oh, I can't show my work, I don't know, and all the cheaters are like, we just got found out, right? Um, because you can't show your work, or you do. Hey, how did you get that? How, what did you do to build that equation? What did you do to build these things? It's not just that you have the right answers, because anyone can do that, but you actually have to say, hey, how did you get, how did you build that? Showing your homework. This is Jesus inviting you to show your homework. Um, Jesus invites you to listen, and then put into practice. Not just listen to podcasts, not just look at a book about Jesus, which is great, I do it, but to put into practice and follow Jesus. Um, and then there's a warning, right? He gives you a warning, and this is the warning. There is a great collapse in the future. Whenever those storms of life come, it, your foundation cannot last. Again, happy Monday.
just here to encourage. Um, this also reminds me of two pastors. Um, again, a lot of chapels, a lot of church services, a lot of pastors I've met. And this reminds me of two pastors. One of them is famous. I won't say his name. I don't know if he's famous now, but he was enough to get into like a conference someday. Um, and this pastor, I'm not kidding. I remember being at a Christian college. I remember being at Liberty. I remember listening to his sermon on Hosea chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7. I'm not kidding when I say it was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. I have ever heard anyone preach, or it's like up there, right? Anyone preach. Shortly after he left his family, cheated on his spouse, threw away his ministry, again, through a series of circumstances, he just threw it away. The storms of life hit, and his foundation was revealed. And I say that to arrest and capture your attention in this moment. Because there's also a pastor who, as a freshman, I looked through the phone book and I found a church, and it started with C. So I went to Cornerstone as a freshman, this random church, I've never been there before. And this pastor, Pastor Willie, week after week he preached. He invited me over to elder meetings, deacon meetings, Bible study, prayer meetings. He invited me into his life. He was an example to me. No one knows who Pastor Willie is in Virginia, but I do. And those are the same thing. Two trees. Two foundations. The storms of life. He's been through a lot. And the storms of life hit. Man, you can tell that he was built on the rock. He built his life on following Jesus, listening to the words of Jesus, and then putting it into practice. Again, I think the last 19 months, if you were to ask me, I think We've seen foundations across all of society. The foundation's been revealed, right? The foundations, good or bad, has been revealed. Churches, the foundations have been revealed. Is it built on Jesus? So, as cr cultural Christianity <laughs> crashes, we're invited to become, you are invited to become practitioners of Jesus' way of life. Jesus's way of life. Can I encourage you? Okay, encouragement time. Here we go. Uh, can I encourage you? Pressure and storms, and I do believe our generation, it will be pressure packed. It will be a pressure cooker of your values, and it'll be tested. I do believe that. But pressure and storms, even tragedies, those make great disciples. Men and women, brothers and sisters, they will make you a great disciple. This generation, our generation, my generation, these professors, these teachers, these faculty members, man, I, I do believe that they want to fan into flame as you guard the deposit made in you, right? First Timothy. To guard that deposit and to fan into flames what God is stirring in you. Um, that means following Jesus. And the question today that I just want to wake you up with, is there something that Jesus has said before you? Man, he is like telling you, call him up, read this, do this, forgive them, say this, 
Is he telling you? Is it in front of you? To summarize this passage, he's inviting you to do it. Just do it. Um, to be a disciple, he's inviting you to walk through that narrow gate. I'm going to summarize the Sermon on the Mount, okay? To walk through that narrow gate, to withhold judgment, to downplay riches and money, to not be anxious, right? That doesn't just happen overnight. That doesn't happen by willpower, right? Don't be anxious. Got it. Right? Lust, lame. Don't do that. Hatred. Eh, I don't do that. I don't get angry. Right? Nobody does that. I'm not talking about willpower. In the same sermon, he says, ask, seek, and knock. The Father wants to give generously to you the Holy Spirit. To not hate or lie, but to overflow with the love for God and the love for neighbor. To where you can come into chapel and you become the type of person who wants to be here. And to follow him. Um, Ray Ortland, I think he's the one, he's famous, he's a pastor. I think he said the difference between training and trying. I love that. Training versus trying. Trying, man, you could tell me, hey, Tyler, uh, I want you to go to the gym and I want you to try as hard as you can, bench press 300 pounds. Do you think I could do it? Maybe, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I, I know I can't. But if you, tell, if you tell me, hey, you're going to go work out with the team, you're going to take some stuff, you're going to eat right, you're going to train, and then actually, guess what? In six months, in six months, guess what? You're going to become the type of person who can bench press 300 pounds or whatever. Not through trying, but through training. The Sermon on the Mount invites you to become a person who trains under Jesus who trains and puts into your life practices, things to become that type of person. Um, this takes a lifetime. I'm not there yet. I'm here as a brother. This doesn't just magically happen. In fact, at the beginning of the sermon, he says it's impossible. So we need the good news. We need the good news that there's a king. And with that king comes a kingdom. And in that kingdom, there is a kingdom life, and he outlines it in three chapters. This is what life is like in my kingdom. That's good news. Your entrance into this practice-based faith, this invitation to practice, is not based on merit or family status or good deeds or even grades. It's based on allegiance to Jesus. Translation, Jesus transforms you. He can. Or as Dallas Willard calls it, the renovation of a heart. It's a great book. Renovation of the heart. That's what we need. So can I confess to you, as a PK, as a pastor's kid, maybe you're a PK. Join me in therapy. Um... The water's fine. Um, 
as someone who's heard sermons every week, who's memorized verses and won every year of Awanas, if you know what that is. Come on. Went to every camp. Sung a lot of songs. Spent my summers knocking on doors, sharing the gospel to strangers, right? This is a tough sermon for me to preach. For me to listen to the warnings of Jesus, and he says, man, there is a collapse coming if you only hear and you don't do. Binging on Christian content and not doing anything about it. James calls that deception. You are deceived. So this is a, a confession. I'm with you and I'm in it with you. Um, but Jesus himself, can I just tell you this morning, Jesus himself invites you to practice his way of life. Not a doctrinal statement, not even a membership class, which I love, but he invites you to follow him, to look at the example, to look at his practices, to look at his life and say, I'm going to do that. Obedience. So Jesus calls that wisdom, a wise builder. To hear the words of Jesus and then do them, I think you'll need two things, all right? Or so builders tell me. I'm not a builder, but if you want to build a life that lasts, you have to have two things. You need a toolbox and you need tools, okay? Again, not a handy person. That's what they tell me. You need toolbox and you need some tools. So bottom shelf, practical. Here we go. Um, number one, you need a structure to your life, your values, your schedule, your commitments, even your personality. I'm not even going to apply it for you. I'm not going to give you the rhythm. I'm not going to give you the solution. But I do think you need to come up with a way of life, a version of life where you submit it to Jesus and say, hey, here's my plans. Here's my schedule. Here's my alarm clock. Here's my scripture. Here's my everything. And you just give it to him. You just invite him. Be specific. Open up areas of your life that you just don't want Jesus to talk about and to point at. Go outside, take a walk, and do it. Put these values on paper, mind, soul, body. What brings you joy in the Lord? What makes you love Jesus more? And then do it. It's going to be different for every single one of you. But, thankfully, there are tools that for thousands of years Christians have used. Things like prayer, scripture, Sabbath, right? Putting down the phone, simplicity, fasting, right? These things that are just not in vogue right now. Thousands of years, Christians have been practicing these things. Not to earn God's favor, but to get more of Jesus. Right? The Holy Spirit blows where He wants to, but practices are just opening up the window and letting the wind come in. Um, again, I'm trying my best as well, but let's learn. 
These practices are things to add into your life to participate with Jesus. I love how John Tyson and Susie Silk, they're pastors in New York City, you've probably heard of them. They put it in a book. Practices like prayer, Sabbath, scripture, all these things, fill in the blank, things that make you closer to Jesus, chapel, right, whatever. They do two things. They reduce deception in your life. Reduce deception. Again, if you're a hearer only, brother or sister, you are deceived. You are deceived if all you do is just hear and you don't do. So practices reduce deception. And they also increase intimacy with Jesus. They reduce deception and they increase intimacy. Prayer pushes out the lies and invites Jesus in to speak truth. Sabbath invites Jesus in where you stop and you put your work down and you rejoice and you like go hang out because you're not a slave. Scripture reading is where you intake scripture and you want Jesus and you read the Sermon on the Mount and then you go do it. But you have to have a template, right? So you read scripture. Reduces deception, increases intimacy. Again, Jesus says, abide or remain in me. And then you'll bear fruit. Hearing and doing. So, bottom shelf, if I could just commend to you, I try to do it, I'm not perfect. But you can put your phone away. Information, get information away from you. Spend some time in silence, alone, it's weird. But Jesus is there. Bring yourself to God in prayer, and then humbly, if you want to start, Read Matthew 5 through 7. Read Matthew 5 through 7, and that's the kingdom life. It's beautiful. What is life like in his kingdom? And read it. And then put it into practice. If you have questions, ask. Ask them to a friend or a community member or a leader. Jesus is worth following. This teaching should capture you and wake you up. It did me. Man, it woke me up. I pray it does for you. Aaron Nyquist, who wrote a book on practices, he says that Christianity is a practice-based faith. And everyone's invited. Jesus invites you to practice his way of life. And he wants to warn you of the dangers of just admiring it. Let me pray, and then um, I guess we'll dismiss. Thank you for letting me be here. Let me pray. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, I pray that you would take this small bread and a fish of a sermon, and you would multiply it. You would take these moments as we leave, and we would get in front of you by your Holy Spirit, and we would build our life. I'm following you. Give us grace. Amen.